Hi, I'm Melanie. And I'm Justin. And we're a couple of counselors. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, yeah, this is the first couple moments of the first podcast we've ever done. Um, the goal here is to talk about the work that we do every day as individual mental health and substance use counselors um, and supervisors. Um, we want to talk about themes that we notice, just generally speaking, in the work that we do. Because um, if there's one takeaway when the two of us sit down at night after the kids have gone to bed and, and chat from the work we've done, it's that people suffer from very similar things. Um, yeah. So one of the goals on this podcast is to talk about some of the things that ails folks and how people find healing. Yeah, and the idea is to go from the therapy couch to our couch in our living room to have a laid back but clinical understanding of not only the themes, but how they're showing up in our lives and how we work through them because we are humans that are trying to walk the talk as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. The term in our work is that there's a often a parallel process and that is very true for us. We have two kids, a two-year-old daughter and a five-year-old daughter. Um, and yeah, we are, you know, working with folks who are dealing with their own struggles as parents and then coming home to it. And there's a lot of parallels between the work we do with people every day and then what we go through together as a couple trying to raise a couple healthy daughters. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that too. And we're both licensed clinical social workers, licensed alcohol and drug counselors, and certified clinical supervisors. We have a private practice and we work to try to help alleviate suffering. Uh, Our modalities often overlap. Um, Not to make this a list of alphabet soup, um, but, (laughs) you know, we have certain modalities and approaches. We look at Buddhist psychology, neuroscience, polyvagal theory, attachment-based practices. We're both trained in EMDR. Uh, Parts work is heavily influenced my work and uh, motivational interviewing, acceptance and commitment therapy. I'm saying all these buzzwords because maybe you're listening to this thinking, are those approaches that I'm interested in? Are those things that the therapists that I have u- used now or even know about? Uh, and to help you understand some of the, <laughs> some of the justice sneezing very politely into his shirt but we're figuring out audio (laughs) on the podcast so this is this is real life coming from people that are you know at seven o'clock an hour uh, away from bedtime yeah wow that's unfortunately true um (laughs) yeah i mean so if we do you want to jump into a topic sure all right because i've been thinking about one that i hear Definitely weekly, and it seems like daily in the couples that I work with, um, but also just individuals looking to improve the relationships in their lives. And that is around communication and not kind of the boring conversation about communication, you know, like styles, which I guess we can talk about, but more the types of the ways in which people feel seen and heard and truly understood and the ways that they don't. And often here, I'm thinking about like two levels where someone in a relationship is talking about something that they're struggling with um, and it's an emotional topic. So, you know, I'm feeling 
insecure about my body lately. And then the level that they get met with is a cognitive rational response. Like, you know, how are you, what have you been eating recently? Have you thought about exercising? And, you know, just as an example, and people f- report feeling really unheard and invalidated by these type of kind of, uh, I guess, suggestions is what I would say. And the last thing I want to say is I'm kind of introducing this topic is there's this beautiful concept from Daniel Siegel, who's a psychiatrist um, out of California, and he does a lot of attachment work, where he talks in parenting about connecting before you correct. So the idea being, if you want to suggest a different behavior for your child, you first connect with the emotional experience they're having as they're engaging in the behavior that you don't want. So an example, hitting a kid before saying, we don't hit, keep your hands to yourself. You get down to the child's level and you connect about what emotion they're feeling. You, you look frustrated. You look like you're angry right now. Um, and that idea, I think, is relevant in adults as well, where before we're doing any suggesting or attempting to help, we need to really be connecting with the emotional experience of the person across from us. Um, or they're not going to hear it, first of all. They're not going to hear any um, responses that we may have, but also they're not going to feel like they're really understood. Does that make sense? Yeah, and ultimately people start off with expressing an emotional experience, which is hard to do, and and want that emotional experience to be held more so than they care about a solution in the moment, even if Mm -hmm. 30 seconds later they do. But initially what they're looking for is acknowledgement of the vulnerability and uh, empathic listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to say with the example that was used that you know, I come from a, a health at every size background and I want to have, you know, a caveat of, you know, we're not suggesting changing bodies and things. Uh, but <laughs> just the idea of how do we honor, validate, recognize, and see another person when they are doing the emotional labor to identify, mm-hmm. uncover, and present their internal experience been working with a lot of folks whose parents have more narcissistic traits and their um their responses you know they might go to their parent and say something even as an adult you know here's my internal experience and their parent is responding with well I don't want you know how do you think it makes me feel to have a child that's sad mm. um so not only and that to me is like two steps removed from where many steps removed from where, where that the the validation and support and honoring Mm. take place because that's not even looking at a solution or, or the ability to conceptualize the other person's experience. Uh, It's all from, from their lens. So Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to give us a, a bit of a spectrum to, to have as reference, because I think there are many ways as humans that we, struggle to respond to somebody else's emotional experience yeah yeah and i i appreciate what you said about the body image i was kind of just searching for uh, a potential um example of how that might look but um i do think it's worth talking about some of the things that are necessary for someone to to really feel seen and understood um and they're all really simple, which I think is another thing I want to say, that people often feel like they need to do something when they're in the presence of some type of suffering or vulnerability. Mm-hmm. They feel compelled to fix, you know, to solve, to offer something. And I think the message of this 
particular topic that I want to get through is that presence is doing the thing. Being truly present, listening, acknowledging whatever uh, issue is being brought to you and letting the person know that you're there and you see them and you hear them and that their, their feelings about whatever it is are valid. Like that is the thing. You don't then have to reach for a way to to immediately uh, alleviate this person's suffering. And to that point, I, I do want to, so presence being one of the skills that's necessary to be a good communicator, as well as validation. Uh, I also want to acknowledge that the desire to do that, from my experience, you know, and, and my experience of listening to folks, the desire to solve and fix is born out of your own discomfort. Right. So it's worth acknowledging that right that that it does take work to be present and to validate and to honor and to just sit with precisely because so many of us are uncomfortable and compelled to do something with that discomfort and it's often not modeled to us what to do with uh discomfort mm. whether it's somebody else's or our own and when we move to problem solving we are sending a message consciously or not that whatever the person's going through is something we want to end as soon as possible Mm. um or that it you know it's better that it's over um and just in my personal life um you know some difficult things have happened within this last week and you know mostly with my family of origin and and having the acknowledgement like this is hard this elicits so much sadness and deep pain and I I don't need to find a way to fix that for myself either like I can honor it make room for it know where it's located in my body allow it to sit and be and Mm. and recognize the impermanence of that uh, and believe in the impermanence of it instead of the feeling that that I see a lot with thematically, particularly with depression, is that we we like sitting in the pit and we can't remember a time we weren't sitting in the pit and mm-hmm. we don't believe there's ever going to be a time we're not sitting in the pit, even if a week prior that same person was thriving and connected and if anything maybe like sailing way high above the pit, but it's just mm-hmm. so hard to remember that right. The pit's designed to elicit the despair and the hopelessness and, and all of that. Mm. Yeah. And I feel, and maybe a little early, this is, this is actually a beautiful example of my own personal work of feeling compelled to <laughs> fix and to solve that I've been doing myself. I feel compelled for everybody listening to this thinking, but, but you can't just sit there with someone, right? To say that there is, there is room for, supporting someone and moving i think that i think the message at least from my perspective and i'll be interested to hear what mel says but is that you need to start with the space and the connection um you know again the presence true presence just listening um validating because all feelings are welcome right and that's not just kind of a cliche that's that's a rational response because feelings just arise so to not welcome them is almost inherently irrational because they, mm-hmm. ju- they just show up and they deserve to be welcomed. So doing that for, um, w- doing that with people is a super helpful skill. And now here's the, the thing I do feel compelled to say, which is you can help someone move if, if they want. And I think a beautiful question is, 
how can I be helpful, right? After you've listened for some time, how can I be helpful? I'm happy to sit here with you. I'm happy to listen. I'm happy to be a shoulder to cry on. I'm also happy to brainstorm with you about how, you know, you can move through this difficult space you're in. Um, I just want to, I do want to say that there's, it's not as though the suggestion is to kind of, if someone's in a pit, to just jump in there with them and say, let's settle in forever. Um, but there is a need to connect there first mm-hmm. um, before you're going to have any chance at, at supporting someone you care about in moving or, or feeling better. Even as a supervisor, I'll have a supervision with a clinician and I'm asking up front, are you looking for feedback or support today? Because those mm-hmm. are two different ways of showing up for somebody. And often it's both. Um, and, and we need to start with the support in order to get to a place of feedback, typically. Uh, but that that speaks to uh, how ubiquitous and ever-present this experience of, oh, I have this emotional discomfort. And we're also speaking about people that have access to that enough to be able to articulate it. Because a lot of folks mm. you know, don't have... Uh, the language because you know feelings exist outside of language typically and or they have been conditioned to suppress their emotions they might tell you they don't have any or they don't feel anything Um, Mm -hmm. and so that those are other barriers that we would get to and probably talk about it on a different podcast but we are specifically talking about when someone comes to you um, with a difficult internal experience, like what to do. And, and I'd like for you, as you're listening to this, to take a moment and think about a time in which somebody responded in a way that felt supportive to you. Mm. Yeah. And, and if you're having a hard time thinking of that, I, maybe how was that modeled in a book or a TV show? Or what do you imagine? What did that version of yourself really want to hear and didn't because I I have I have a hunch not knowing you at all that you have some answers to those questions and and you know what it feels like or what it would feel like if someone was empathically attuned right like that they were able to recognize your internal experience and mirror it and 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 possibly some of that be elicited within themselves as they sit with your experience uh, and we know what that how that registers in our nervous systems yeah yeah and that that leads in really well to a, a related theme that i've that i've heard a lot of people talk about in terms of when they recognize that something feels good they leave a conversation they leave an interaction and they feel good about it and I've talked with many of my clients about this. And, and the thing that needs to be said is exactly what we've been talking about, which is that it is almost never the case that the person says, I can't believe the amazing thing that person told me. Or they just gave me a piece of advice that blew my mind and was, uh, you know, created this behavioral change for me that will be everlasting. It is the case that when people come back from an interaction with a coworker or a partner or a friend, you know, and report, like, I feel good, I feel lit up right now, I feel supported, that it is because of the presence and the validation and the fact that someone held space for them. It has virtually nothing to do with what those people say. And I think that's part of the issue is that we put so much stake in needing to have the right words um, in any given interaction. And I think if there's anything that I want to, 
that I want to suggest today, again, just based on listening and learning from my clients, it's that the words really aren't particularly important, but your, your presence is and your ability to tolerate a range of emotions uh, that someone is experiencing in your presence. That is what matters. Yeah. And I try to convert I'm sorry's to thank yous, right? So often someone shares something and we say like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. Right. And, and even that like is better than here's what you can do about it. Yeah. Um, but thank you for sharing that with me. Mm. And that be a complete sentence with a full breath or two before anything else is said, because they may then use that space a little bit more. Right. Mm. Um, as we're talking about it, I also think about when we have been the person that is always holding space for other people and you know, obviously I'm speaking in absolutes, which are always never everybody, nobody, right? But that it feels like mm. you're always holding space for other people. And we might have someone in our life who's going through something intense for them and they have explained it to you and you've held space for them a dozen times on the same topic. And maybe you've tried to help elicit some momentum, for that person and maybe you feel frustrated or maybe you feel like I I don't know how to take up any space in mm. this relationship um so I, I recognize that that could be a place as well mm. um and then it is time to acknowledge your internal experience yeah. about their internal experience mm-hmm. right and it's that moment to say it's really hard for me to hold this space without reprieve, without a break, mm. right? Uh, and because I have some things I would like to share. I would like for this to feel more mutual than it does, for example. And maybe you all are like, yeah, I would never say those things. I don't talk like that. <laughs> um, that's very possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll volley back to you if you have some thoughts. Yeah, no, I mean, you're making a really important point, which is... Um that sharing of your internal experience is is just as necessary as having the skills to allow others to express theirs. And I mean, here we're really focusing on how you can be helpful in responding to somebody, right? Um, connect before you suggest is is the theme that I um, that I want to get through. But certainly, and maybe it's a little bit of a different topic. But certainly, there's room to to share your own experience, um, particularly if it, if, if you're having a hard time with their experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is a, again, that's kind of a, a, maybe a different topic. And and to your point earlier, Mel, it involves a host of skills, right? Because you have to identify your own experience. You have to give it a name. You know, this is frustration, anxiety, um, uh, and then you have to communicate your feelings to somebody else in an assertive and honest way. And all of that is sometimes asking a lot. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of the I statements, yeah. right? Which if anyone's ever done any CBT or psychotherapy, right? Like it's, I feel blank when you feel blank because of blank, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember very vividly the first time I used an I statement in one of our arguments. 
And I expected Justin to pause, look at me, and thank me for the effort I just put into the conversation. And he did not. He did not do that. And I felt lied to, right? Because I felt like, okay, I put in the work. I wanted to be petty and frustrated Mm. and, you know, whatever. And I chose to surrender that opportunity to put in this masterful I statement. What I did remember happening in fairness is the conversation was not any more intense at a time where it probably would have been. And it probably started some de-escalation, but it it wasn't this magical solution like I had expected it to be. Yeah, that's a really important point and literally one that I was discussing um, about four hours ago with a client because <laughs> the messaging, and I, and I hear this a lot, is what if I'm working on these skills that we talk about here in therapy, right? But what if I'm dealing with somebody whose response is less than ideal, <laughs> right? So I say, I, this is how I feel. And they say, yeah, I don't care. Or, or, or you know, sometimes more appropriately, not, not appropriately, but more commonly, um, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way or mm-hmm. you shouldn't feel that way, right? Really, really kind of terrible responses. Or, and, or dismissive, invalidating yeah, responses if for we're sure. going to move out of judgment. But yeah, yeah, yeah. unhelpful at best. Touche. Um, <laughs> and I, I think, I think the, what I want to say to that is that that is a very common thing, right? A lot of folks will be thinking, I'm wanting to work on my uh, ability to be present with others. I'm wanting to work on my communication skills. And I'm surrounded by, to your point earlier, you know, either family sometimes or friends or coworkers who aren't working on these skills actively. Mm-hmm. And what I want to say to that is I just really want to encourage continued effort because to your point, when you didn't get the response from me that you wanted, and I you know, have no idea what it was, but you could have just been like, well, I guess that doesn't work. And then moved into some time of some type of aggressive communication or been angry with me. Um, Rather than recognizing there's, there's room to say to somebody that response didn't feel great, right? Like yeah. I'm doing work over here and, and I, what you just said to me actually didn't really make me feel great, right? Just keeping going with your skills. It's not time to throw your hands up in the air. But what I did do that time was at the end of the argument, I was like, but did you hear the I statement? And um, he was like, no, but I mean, (laughs) great, but no, I didn't. Um, There, another story I'll tell you about Jess and I, so we've been um, all married, it'll be eight years this July and together for 12. I'm bad at calendar math. So I look to Justin. 12 years, 12 years in June. And our first argument that I can remember we were living in Boston at the time and I, I was raising my voice on the streets of Alston. Um, and I remember this one. Justin just looked at me and said like, why are you yelling? Mm. And I was like, because we're fighting. What kind of a question is that? Because my entire life, that is how um, conflicts were conducted, demonstrated. Mm. Um, And when he responded, and I believe what he said, and I'm interested in your recollection of this, was like, we can disagree, but we don't have to yell at each other about it. Mm. Um, I just looked, it was a stunning moment for me. I was taken aback uh, because what I realized in that moment is it's harder to continue this pattern of behavior and communication when um, you're not getting the same type of um, like 
experience fed back to you mm-hmm. and to be in a relationship where uh, that that wasn't something I was going to get reciprocated in that way it was a, an opportunity for me to practice disagreeing without yelling mm-hmm. um you know which I think in a lot of ways when we try some of these skills we present an opportunity for the people around us to try to practice them organically as well and there are other people that are not ready for that of course but that that gives you some information yeah that's a I mean that's a a good example I've I've heard you tell that story before and I remember it you know similarly I uh, and I don't I don't want to be up on a high horse here because certainly there are a variety of ways in which you've taught me great lessons throughout this relationship I think that speaks to the importance of you know your family of origin and what you're used to and and suffice to say I wasn't used to yelling. I think the the lesson to be learned there though, that is a beautiful thing is to be, to try to work on being somebody who is open to hearing that message, right? Because you could have spent the next five minutes or longer the next many years, five years. Ba- basically trying to convince me that actually this is what you do. I've done it my whole life. And I know that when we, when we get into an argument or a disagreement, we need to be yelling. That's that makes sense. You could have dug in. Mm-hmm, right. But, this is how, this is who I am. You yeah, need to get used to exactly. it. Exactly. Your communication style is X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So I think, yeah, I think a good lesson in that story is that it's, it's a beautiful thing to allow someone to, I mean, I, it sounds a little paternalistic, but to teach you something, right? Whether it's explicitly or just through their modeling, yeah. allowing, um, yeah, allowing the opportunity to have someone show you something you didn't know and being open to that rather than defensive about it. Yeah, I've been really struck by this concept of learning and unlearning in the past 24 hours, you know, and also <laughs> my life. But, you know, it's really been, you know, when those themes show up and they show up uh, loudly, that's the, the theme of my day today is unlearning. Um, and, you know, we're we're looking with this podcast, I don't know if it's quite obvious to you, but we didn't have notes. We're not prepped with examples. It's more of, we want to discuss this idea of connecting before suggesting. Mm -hmm. And every other bit of information you just got in the last 26 or so minutes, it was about what came naturally from our hearts and our heads. So, you know, there's going to be as some some sloppiness and and good intention, but <laughs> hopefully this feels conversational and approachable. Um, we're trying to demystify some of the uh, you know what goes on between the ears of the therapist mm. um, because I know as someone that has gone to therapy, that's always been a thought of like, what are they thinking about me right now? Which we could unpack what uh, that says about me at another point. But <laughs> if that's ever been you, that's uh, something we're we're trying to do with this podcast. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, um, it's a little cliche, but I, I also think that part of what we're doing here is, is exploring some of the things that our clients teach us. You know, yeah. because I really, I really do believe I worked with adolescents for many years. Um, and even, you know, kids, kids as young as 12, 13, 14, 15, their experience has taught me so much. Um, and certainly now working with adults, it's, a, it's the same thing. So I think, I think part of what we want to do is, is share the things we've learned from our clients in addition to the things we've learned, you know, through our own training, our own schooling, our own uh, continuing education. So and our own important. mistakes. Yeah. Right, like putting some humanity in this, 
trying to take out the authority and power over dynamics that are inherent to some counseling experiences and really make this approachable. Um, We're going to, at some point, figure out a way for you all to, to identify, are there certain topics you would like to hear? Are there certain questions you have for us? Uh, Maybe, you know, we are not We are not going to be diagnosing people that we are not working with. We're not going to be identifying information about people that we are working with. This is meant to be conversational, informative, um, you know, anything else that I'm missing? No, yeah. And, and, you know, relatively laid back, we'll talk about our personal lives a little bit. We'll talk about our uh, journey as parents, which, you know, like I said, with a two and a five-year-old is um chaotic i think mm-hmm. is a fair word yeah. um so yeah so i'm i'm excited though i mean i think you and i are both passionate about this certainly passionate enough to do it all day and then want to talk about it after <laughs> yes which i think is <laughs> i think is says something in and of itself so um yeah. looking forward to it and i'm sure that uh or i would imagine i should say that we'll only get better at this yeah we should help thank you for sticking with us take care